At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition. Whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family, our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's Federal season. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast. It's Federal season. I'm Chad Belding, the host of the Foul Life Television. You can find us on the Outdoor Channel, the industry leader for entertaining and informative hunting and shooting content. We got a cool episode of It's Federal Season today. One of my good friends in the industry, we've been working together a long time, Mr. Brad Arrington, the founder and owner of Mossy Pond Kennels in South Georgia. He is a true professional when it comes to dog training, not just the training, but the picking out a dog, the genetics of a dog, the breeding of a dog. He is a go-to guy for me the last eight or nine years when it comes to finding, in my opinion, the best sporting dogs or what I love to call duck dogs. Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers, how are you today, my man? Everything's just right. Excited to talk with you guys today. Thank you for Federal and the Foul Life having me on today. Heck yeah, I'm excited too. And you know what, what I really wanted to get out there to the audience and the Federal community and the world of Fed, Federal, Brad, is... Your story is so interesting of how you got into bird dogs and how you started. And I believe here in the story back in the day was pointing dogs and squirrel dogs and, and running those type of dogs. And then it just kind of kept maturing into what Mossy Pond Retriever and Kennels is coming. Today. Give us a little bit of your background and, and how you really got into this and, and how Mossy Pond got to where it is today. Yeah, just like you said, you know, um, from the well, you know, when I was a kid, I always grew up on, my grandfather had Jack Russell and Feist. My daddy always had a bunch of beagles. And um, my dad and my brothers, we actually broke horses as well. So we always had a love for animals. And it, growing up on a farm, we always had a bunch of animals. And everything around the farm, um, we kept a tight ship. So I, I learned at an early age how to keep good attitudes, all the animals loving us, but at the same time, um, obeying and um, doing the task at hand or what, what they were used for. And er- everything on the farm worked. Um, they were family and they worked with us, um, but they were the, everybody had a job. So um, that, that's where my training background started and came from. And then as I got older, um, the horses, I was always the, um, I always did a lot of the grunt work for the horses, mucking stalls and cleaning stalls and shoeing horses. So my little brother, he stayed with that, but I got away from the horses. It, it was a it was a lot of work, and I got into dogs, and um, I started with some bird dogs and German short hairs, English pointers. You know, in the south South Georgia, that's quail country, and that, that's what I started out on. And as I got into training, <coughs> excuse me, as I got into training, those um, I found out as far as uh occupation or making a living on training bird dogs you train bird dogs really fast and you a lot of theirs was natural and you didn't get as many months of training out of a customer like you did a retriever so um that led me more into the retriever game of um and leaving the dogs with us a lot longer for hunt tests hunting dogs advanced hunting dogs 
now as the business grew, of course, we do it all. We do from obedience dogs to um, bird dogs to retrievers, upland, flushing dogs. We, we do it all. We, we have a big business and uh, just obedience for in and around the house for our customers. But um, I love it all. Everybody asks, what, what do I like the best? Do I like bird dogs better? Do I like flushing dogs, retrievers? I like a good dog in all those categories. I still run some squirrel dogs. I, I have a long-haired Jack Russell that sleeps in my house with me. Um, I have probably 20 beagles. I love all dogs, but I love a good dog and a dog that'll listen and be compliant and work with me. And everybody at camp, everybody around my house, everybody that's around me, my dogs are a pleasure to be around. That's what I want my customers to have. I love that. And you brought up a good point there when you mentioned that you do it all. And You know, when I think about federal, they do it all too. You know what I mean? Like they're making ammo for all different types of wing shooting um, and even squirrel shooting. But upland upland birds, pheasants, quail, chucker, partridge, grouse, whatever it is. Then they have the waterfowl side of things with the blue box, the black cloud, ducks, geese, cranes. Uh, one thing I'm interested in, Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers, is when you have a pointer, like a German short hair or an English pointer, and then you have a Labrador over here, and I know some labs are bred to point, is the beginning stages of training the same for all of these different types of sporting dogs? No, I mean, what I like to do is wake up their natural, um, their natural ability, what what they're good at, and what I want them to show me what they, what what is their natural ability is, whether it's a squirrel dog, a, um, a pointer, a retriever, a flusher. You know, is that flusher, he going to give a lot of chase after the bird as a puppy? Is that pointer, is he going to naturally point? And it, until that natural ability, is that retriever, when I bounce the tennis ball or the Kong or the play toy, when he's a pup, is he going to give chase and he's going to go get, go get it? Is he going to be, um, you know, that natural ability really high and strong on doing what what we want them to do and if not you know that kind of that doesn't grade the dog out but that kind of lets me know where i stand before i start putting my stuff to him and man-made stuff is is neat people like it oh you made your dog do that that that's kind of how you know dog trainers make their money because um it's not natural it's something that we apply but the natural ability the stuff that they do that their, you know, genetics get them to do. that. That's the special thing. That's what makes them better than the next dog. If, if he's going to be extremely talented and extremely great, it's, it's typically the natural. Now, of course, are some smarter than others and they're going to be more compliant where I can teach them more? Yeah. But if you go to the national field trial and bird dogs or national field trial and retrievers, the compliancy – and how much they can learn, how much they can listen is really important. But that natural ability on that retriever at 400 yards, he knows the blade of grass it's under or that pointer, um, you know, how he quarters and how he finds birds better than the next dog, how his nose works. I mean, that, that natural ability is where it's at. So, yes, at the beginning, I want to watch the dog and let them show me what they can do and what, what they're great at and, what they're weak at as well. Well, let me ask you this, Brad. When you start talking about the natural ability, and that's what you're looking for, and I, 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 I read your bio, and I, and I get updated all the time with you and your crew down there, you guys always have a waiting list 
Okay, you guys, since 2005, when you built your first, you know, seven or 12 stall kennel, you guys had a, an immediate waiting list. And that just kept maturing and compounding and snowballing into what it's become today. Um, it seems to me like there's not a lot of time to be wasted if there isn't what you just called the quote unquote natural ability. Is there transparency and communication that is a must that goes from you and your team of trainers to the dog owner? Like, do you, do you automatically tell them, hey, this dog might not have what it takes to get what you're getting? And, or do you try and, and leave them in a program the entire time and the owner gets what they get at the end of that program? No, you're exactly right. You know, we're very transparent. You know, I pride myself on that um, with our business and letting the dog owners know. I, I also, I, I got three sons and a daughter, and I also coach baseball and football. And, you know, nobody wants to hear little Johnny doesn't have what it takes to play shortstop. But it's just like with these dogs. You know, I've learned, um, you know, just rip the Band-Aid off and let the customer know that their dog doesn't do something well. And they respect you for it later. They hate you that second. <laughs> but um, I think it's very important to let them know where they're, what their dog's capable of, what he's not capable of. Um, <clears throat> and then, then they know what they're going to get because – and, you know, there's some customers that say, hey, if that's all he's going to do, I want you to keep training him. I still, I, I, I love old Joe, and I want you to train him and um, get the bet most out of him. And, and we still take pride in that, making him the best he can be. Um, but, yes, there, there, there are a lot of times that, and depending on what your goals are. You know, if your goal is a, a, a shooting dog, 90%, 95% of those are going to make it. They're gonna, they're, we're going to make them where they can be a good shooting dog and, have the obedience around camp and around the family back home during the work week. You know, if um, you come in and you tell him down, he lays down, you tell him to place while you and the family are having dinner, he'll go over there and lay at place. Um, but then when you go out in the field, he's a, he's a gentleman uh, around your hunters as well, where he's not embarrassing you or, or my business. So um, yes, we, we're very transparent on that. Um, and showing, you know, a lot of people thought I was crazy because it was a little different than what most training facilities do but when i built the lodge i built i built it not for hunting we're, we're getting into a hunting operation now but when i built it it was solely for my customers to come and stay and to be more part of <clears throat> to be more part of the training and to watch their dogs what they can and can't do you know um, it's one thing you call a, a parent up or a, a customer up and tell them their dog or their son can't do something it, it's hard for them to take it, but when they can come out and watch it, stay with me Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and watch it and see, well, he is great at that, Brad. He did amazing, but I, I see what you're struggling with on the on, on that one concept that, that he can't get, and, and, and they get it, and that, that goes all the way up to the highest level of the competition dogs that we run as well. You know, um, he may be a super retriever champion, but at the same time, there are parts of his game that aren't perfect. Um, so um, it's good to have them in camp there on the property where they can watch and see and, and be involved, you know, to learn how to operate that dog. So just like, you know, you and I've had the great relationship of working together hands on a lot and, you know, as, you know, as avid of a hunter as you are, um, it, it, it was, you know, kind of rewarding and funny the first time you started running dogs with me that you looked at me and you said, 
this is kind of tough. You know, if you weren't here with me, helping me, you know, and you, you've seen more dogs run and pick up ducks than, than anybody. And, uh, but you, you, I'm sure you can admit that without hands on and doing it, um, it can be tough. Yeah, I think one of the greatest services that you offer is that lodge and having the owner. It's a must. It's mandatory. They come in, they spend two, three days, they learn the handling, they learn what the dog has gone through. Because when you get out there in the duck blind and you have all of that adrenaline going, you have Mother Nature doing her thing, and you have the, you know, the the decoys and the jerk string, and you got the blind, and you got to worry about concealment, and then you got the weather and the sun and the cloud, whatever it is. I mean, you're watching the sky, you're looking for ducks, you're on your duck call, and then all of a sudden you got to remember you got this dog over there. You can't have a dog that's squealing. You can't have a dog that's running around a pit blind or knocking things over. He's got to know his place. She's got to know where she is, whether it's a remote sit or she's in the blind with you. And that's what I've seen is that now that I've taken the the time to learn how to be a better handler, and I'm still doing it. I want to become better and better every day and work with you more and more. But when I'm with Axel, he's so easy. And I know that he's not going to break. I know that he's been trained the right way, but you're always keeping an eye on him. And then you got to get up and be the dog handler. You got to send him on a blind. You got to send him on his march. You might pick up seven or eight birds in one go as a duck hunter or a dog handler. So it's a lot of work. And that's what that service that you provide to make sure that that owner is comfortable going back home, wherever that might be and becoming the handler. Now, and another thing that bring that you bring to mind when you talk like that is another service you offer is a lot of people will find a kennel, they'll find a breeding program, they'll have a dog, they'll contact you, they'll give you the dog. You might know not, not know anything about that bloodline, but there are a lot of genetics and bloodlines and breed, breeds and breeding programs that you do have a lot of know and wherewithal of. So I could come to you and say, Brad, I'm looking for a dog. You and Ellen say, well, what kind of dog are you looking for? I'm a duck hunter. I want a duck dog. What would you recommend to me would be the first steps in that? What am I looking for initially, and what would you try to educate me on initially to find that duck dog that's going to fill my dreams for the next 10 seasons? Yeah, the finding somebody that has been in the game a while, you know, there's a lot of breeding programs out there that and big breeding programs that are very successful as a business, but the things that you would be looking for for that duck dog they don't provide and trainers are going to be more bluntly honest about a breeding than of course the breeders the breeders are wanting to sell puppies that's their job and there's some really good ones out there that want to place their puppies in the right homes for with their abilities but you know um, proven litters uh, of course is always the best proven females proven males and you know the misconception that I think the number one problem with a real hardcore duck hunter like the guys that surround you and yourself, um, the misconception, and me and you had this talk when we were picking out Axel, the misconception of a you know a dog with really, really high drive <clears throat> is better than one without. And that's not so true because a, a dog with extremely, extremely high drive on those slow days and you haven't seen a duck, till 9 or 10 a.m., you know, that dog becomes a nuisance in the blind. He's whining. He's walking around. So you want that B-model dog that's going to be good around camp, good around the house, you know, laid back, but has enough horsepower when you get out in the field to get the job done. And he's not going to quit on the cold days where the, where we're, we're trying to ice up. And um, But to, to find that B-model dog that's perfect, you know, 
um, it, it's hard to find. You know, some of the the big trainers like like our business across the country, I would ask them, hey, how can I find a dog that you know has enough horsepower to get the job done, but it's not going to be just a maniac in the blind, but you don't want the the C model dog either. The dog that doesn't have enough drive to get it done, or is just curled up at the on the edge of the blind and not wanting to go out in, into the um, water into the field. So it, and it's hard, you know. Um, I've done this for a long time, done it my whole life, done it with horses, done it with dogs, and there's times that even we get it wrong. We have a litter of puppies and. There's nine of them. I get all nine of them back because <clears throat> we hook up with the owners, and seven of them are perfect, but there's two of them that either they're maniacs and just have a high drive or um, that they don't have enough horsepower to get the job done. You know, those dogs can be great service dogs, the ones that are really laid back, or the ones that are really high-strung can be drug dogs. They have more ball drive and more prey drive than the others, and they can't sit still. Well, that, that makes a great drug dog, you know, that will go in a house and knock over chairs, knock over in the airport and find bomb sniffing dogs or drug dogs. Um, but you don't want him in the duck blind with you. He's knocking down guns, knocking over shells in the blind and um, whining. And, um, you know, that, that, that's not a very pleasurable hunt. Um, we've all seen that dog and, you know, he, he's got a job out there, but being Brad Arrington's duck dog, getting one of them. You know, Brad, listening to you talk brings me back the last eight years, and I'm going to admit this right here on the Federal It's Federal Season podcast, that Brad Arrington and his crew at Mossy Pond Retrievers have turned me into a, a dog snob. And what I mean by that, before any judgment is passed, is that once you're around a good dog, it's hard to keep the patience when that dog is not at that level. And I understand there's different levels, but I truly have gotten into the ideology that I think the owner owes it to that dog to get him or her to their best ability of getting them to that level of what they were put on this earth to do. And that's what you guys do every day there. Brad, we're getting ready to do something that we don't want our dogs ever to do. And that's break. We're going to go into our first break, but when we come back to it's federal season podcast brought to you by federal premium ammunition, we're going to continue our conversation with Brad Arrington and Mossy Pond Retrievers and talk about the nuances of being a handler, a dog owner, the pet part of it, the disposition part of it, the personality part of it. Is he supposed to get up on the bed? Can he get up on the couch once in a while? I want to talk about those nuances, and I want to talk about the next steps, Mr. Brad Arrington, and what we call perfecting our duck dogs. Is there a such thing as a perfect duck dog? I want to get into that right here at It's Federal Season. We'll be right back with you. Hope you all enjoy the break. It's a legacy 100 years in the making where American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism. Technology blended with new ideas. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota. Born in 1922, made in America, proud to be the best. A century of innovation, and we're just getting warmed up. Welcome back to It's Federal Season. And our technology segment, Tech Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to It's Federal Season Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Belding, host of the Foul Life Television. Right now, we're airing Season 14 of the Foul Life exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Can you imagine? We're in the 14th season. We're getting ready to hit the road in a two months to film Season 15 of the Foul Life. It's, on, it's an honor to do it. We're humbled to do it. 
And we're so honored to be part of the Federal Premium family. It's been a decade since we've been shooting Black Cloud exclusively on the foul line. We owe so much to the Federal Premium family. They are a, a valued partner of ours, and their product obviously is second to none. In this segment of its Federal Season podcast, we're going to continue with Mr. Brad Arrington and Mossy Pond Retrievers. And I want to get in, Brad, into some of the the we t- we touched on it in the first part, Brad Arrington, of some dogs are meant to do more than one thing. Axel's never been on a pheasant hunt, okay? He's never went and pointed or flushed up a pheasant in South Dakota or a quail in South Georgia where Mossy Pond headquarters is. But there are some labs that do that, but there's also some dog owners that might have a duck dog over here for some of their duck hunts. And then in this part of the kennel, they have a pointer that they're getting ready to go chase partridge or grouse or pheasant with. So um, it, let's talk a little bit about that 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 personality that you have to have as a handler and a dog owner and of the differences that it's going to take when you're running a duck dog or you're, you're, you're running one of your upland birds on an upland hunt like we discussed. So let, I guess my first question, Brad, is is there a huge variation or distinction in the way that we're going to handle these, these different dogs? Of course there is. Yes, sir. You know, I, um, I, I love, like, like you said before, you know, um, we, we're spoiled. We're, we can be dog snobs. I, I want the best of the best when I'm in the field. If I'm going to take the time to go out hunting, I want the best. And, and there's some great dogs that I've trained that are versatile dogs that can do, can do two or three, four games. Um, or two or three, four different um, types of hunting. But when I'm in the field and what I tell my customers all the time, do what your dog is designed to do. And what I mean by that, it's just like me, you know, I'm I'm, I'm 5'8", 180. I wasn't meant to be a linebacker for the, you know, for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, You know, if do what the dogs, I was a second baseman in baseball, shortstop. You know, do what your dog is designed to do and what he's good at. So what I mean by that, uh, a dog that goes out and is really high strung, a lab, and I get him in, and I'll call the customers and I'll say, look, you sitting in the duck blind till lunch every day and him sitting there and y'all killing four ducks on a slow day, that's not what he's going to be great at. He's going to go nuts. This dog would be great, you know, for upland hunting. You know, if if you go out and you, you do a lot of upland hunting and that dog's got a big motor and he's going to quarter and flush all day and he, he gets to crack that tail all morning and that's what he's in love with. Now, don't get me wrong, that owner may say, well, I don't upland hunt. Well, we can get him to be a good waterfowl dog, but he's going to, it, it's not what he's going to love. And that's where I see a lot of, you know, a lot of customers, they try to, they fall in love with their dog and then they try to get them to do something that they can't do or something they're not going to be good at. And it's a battle throughout the dog's life. So, uh, and training, and that's what we do. You know, that's what I get paid to do is to help those things. But I, I try to help people and influence them to work the dog with what they're, what they're great at and vice versa. If the dog's really laid back, man, he, he could be a great dry field or um you know like a dove dog he sit there real calmly you shoot one down he he goes out there on the dry dirt and picks it or or dry field hunting for ducks and geese but going out there with chad belting um you know and killing 30 and 40 birds with a, a, a big group over icy water you know that that dog that's not doesn't have that high drive um probably isn't going to fare too well 
you know, and in, in a perfect world, that's why we go back to what you mentioned earlier is getting with a trainer, getting with a good breeder and trying to find out before we get into that, try to find a puppy that meets your needs and what your goals are. You know, everybody sees a pretty post on the internet of a good breeding. Oh, I got to have that one. Well, you don't even know what that that sire and dam were good at. What what are their qualities? What are what are their weaknesses? You know, you're an upland hunter and you actually picked out a dog breeding that's very very laid back. Um, that's not going to fare too well. You you need a dog if you're going <clears> to <throat> walk the fields in Kansas and Nebraska and South Dakota and North Dakota, and you're going to cover thirty miles a morning. You know that dog better have a pretty big motor and better be able to crack that tail and cover a lot of dirt for you. Um, so that you need to stay in front of the curve and um, get with a professional and pick those dogs out, what their qualities are, know their weaknesses before you bring that dog home and try to try to turn something, try to make Brad Arrington a a, a linebacker for the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, that ain't going to work. Oh, uh, I think you're tougher and you're giving yourself credit for, buddy. Maybe not a linebacker but for sure a strong safety or maybe even a free safety with your wheels i've seen you yeah. run. um yeah. you know th- th- this yeah. segment of its federal season podcast is our tech talk segment brad errington and you're a technician and i and i like to consider our team technicians and when we're in the duck blind we want to do things right we want to have compassion for the animals we pursue we want to have respect for the resource we want to hone our skill set to get those birds into clean ethical harvestable shots and you know take them down with that black cloud to where that dog's swimming back with a mouthful of feathers. But there are instances, whether it's crossfire or a cripple, it happens. It doesn't matter what who you are in the hunting field. It's going to happen at one point or another in your hunting career, and it's going to happen multiple times. I want to talk about the technical part of being a handler and, 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 and transition back to the first part of the podcast of, you know, how we can learn to be a better handler. And we just released a really cool dog tip with you, yourself, and myself about hand signals and when you when I'm sitting here listening to you talk about the dual purpose of a dog and and, and figuring out what kind of motor your dog's going to have one of the things that came to mind was the visionary part of hunting and in the duck dog a lot of it's visual to where they're looking for you and your hand command to send them left send them right send them back bring them in they also are listening for that whistle in your mouth also Uh, an upland dog they're kind of going with their nose they're pointing they're listening for you to give them the command to flush, but once you shoot it, they're using their nose again to find the down bird, bring it back, and then they're right back out in front of you using their nose to find the next covey. If that sounds fair, correct me if I'm wrong, but Brad, the technical part of being a handler, let's get into hand signals just for a couple minutes. Talk to our audience here at It's Federal Season Podcast, the importance of making sure you're letting that dog have every advantage of seeing your hands what color should we be wearing gloves where do we hold our hands how hot how high do we throw our hand when we send our dog back give me give us some insight on that and what it takes for that dog to have the most advantage out in the water or out in the dry field as he or she can to get to that down bird yeah so the no any style dog upland flushing um retrieving biggest thing is to learn how to handle the dog and how the dog was trained. Um, there, there's a lot of customers that are great dog handlers, but when they come pick their dog up from me, it's different. And we, we kind of, they kind of clash with the dog until they learn from me how to operate the dog. 
So first off, you need to get with a professional or, you know, learn how to handle that dog the way he's trained. If you train him on your own or if you train him by a professional, you need to spend a lot of time with that professional understanding and learning how to operate him. As far as the <clears throat> the blind retrieve, um, you know, that's what we specialize in and our you know, that's that's the neat thing in our retriever game. That's what people like to see. That's what in the big competitions that we run, field trial, HRC, uh, Master Hunter, um, Super Retriever Series, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of times wins and lose, um, makes you win or lose. But as far as what you're getting at on, on the hand signals, you know, a lot of people don't take the time to learn how to do it properly. I have a lot of great outdoorsmen, a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of great duck hunters that the basic, the dog getting a, a single, double, or triple, picking up the marks pretty easy, and they um, clickety-clack with the dog. They they run that dog very nice, but when it comes to hand signals, a lot of guys don't do it right. And um, as, as far as the hand signals, the biggest thing is the dog to be able to see you. You know, remember dogs see in black and white. So if, <clears throat> if you're in a really good hide, and we all are, of course, if we're killing ducks, you know, what is your backdrop? Is it really dark? Is it really black? If so, you need to have on some kind of gloves or something, your hands, um, you know, um, uh, khaki gloves or some kind of light colored gloves where they can see you. And have your hand up. You know, I see a lot of people, They, they. I like to, what I call framing, I like to have my whistle right here in my mouth, have my hands right here, and then when I go to cast, big open hands like this, and cast 45 that way, straight up. And this other hand is on the whistle, because if I cast, and he's at 200 yards, and I cast straight up with my right hand, and he rolls the wrong way, I can have a fast whistle blast where he doesn't get out of the corridor. So if I back and he rolls the wrong way, two. No, that's not what I said. I said right hand back. And I do it again. But if I put my hand down here, I put it at my chest, and I don't have it in the right spot, and that dog casts the wrong way, and we got a 30-mile-an-hour crosswind, and he's in lunging water, and he gets out of the corridor, it's hard enough when you keep them on line, but it's extremely difficult when they get out of the corridor or get way off course in the elements that we fight. And if he can't see you, like I said, that's the most important thing. If he can't see you, it's impossible to direct him to the bird. So what a, what a blind retriever is, is a bird that goes down that the dog doesn't see, that I use my hand signals and my whistle to direct him to the down bird. And, you know, this is the most important part to me. And, I, you know, I don't... <clears throat> Me and my customers have the biggest discussions about this because we're using these dogs as a conservation tool to pick up these crippled birds. The last thing we want to do is a crippled bird to cripple off and die out in the field and us not recovering where we can take him home and, um, you know, eat him and provide him to our family and our friends. And so that dog, you're not going to get him in a boat. You definitely can't run him down in your gear. So that dog can. That's what his job is. I mean, any dog can knock the pick up the four birds that we knock down in the decoys. But that duck that sailed off that's got a broke wing at 220 yards and he's crippling off. I see him trying to get into the toolies and get away. I got to direct my dog, get him downwind <clears throat> where he can start tracking that bird and come back with that bird. 
And that's the part that people don't put the time in on the learning how to do the hand signals. Um, it's no different than you and Axel. You know, at first you were the best duck hunter, still are one of the best duck hunters I know, but the how you run Axel today compared to how we started when you started working with me, I mean, you're, you're a very um, experienced handler now, and you do it very well. You can pick up all the birds just as good as I can with Axel. At first, though, you know, with the hand signals, that's what me and you had a lot of hours in the field of practicing, but you took that time to learn because you, you wanted to make sure that Axel was getting the, um, you know, the handling that he needed to find those down birds. And y'all, y'all recover every bird because y'all are a great team and y'all work together. And then here's the other thing. You give some cast, the wrong cast, that dog lose, loses credibility with you. And then he doesn't want to cast for you because when he does wrong, he actually recovers game. And when he does right, he doesn't recover game. You want that the other way around. You want when, okay, if I listen to daddy, I get this bird and I get a reward and I get to get back in the blind and pick up more birds. If I don't listen to daddy, I don't get the birds. So, um, you know, my biggest advice is to learn from a pro, learn how to operate and learn how to do these hand signals properly. And then it, it looks like a well-oiled machine out there. You know, a great team working together. It's the, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen is a great handler running a dog on a three, 400 yard wild bird blind. And until you've witnessed it, till you've seen it, I mean, there's nothing better in my opinion, but I have seen people destroy it as well. You know, the, the crippled birds out there at 200 yards, everybody in the blind can see it. And the poor guy can't get the dog to it to save his life. And all that, the dog can do it. All it boils down to is that handler didn't take the time to learn how to do it properly and to keep that credibility high with his dog and with his partner and hunting buddy and then make a great team. I love that. It got me thinking. And before we take our last break at uh, Federal Premiums, it's Federal Season Podcast, Mr. Brad Arrington, I had the thought come to mind of what another trait that you've taught me is patience. And one of the things that I see a lot of duck hunters do, and there's all obviously a lot of different maturity levels in our hunting game. At first, it's like, you know, let's pile them up. we got to get a limit. we got to get the pile pick, all the smiles. And, um, and, and I get that. We want to get them, right? And, but I, I want to get this message out there is when you have a dog and his job is what you just said to be a conservation tool, his or her job, to bring those crippled birds or those dead birds back to the blind, to put them on the strap, to put them on the Traeger, or to put them on the grill. Um, you got to think about patience. You don't go out there and get them lined up, and then all of a sudden somebody in the blind goes, you know right where I'm going with this, Brad Arrington. Hey, here comes another flock. And then the first thing most people do is get back in the blind, Axel, get back in the blind. Well, that's not what he's there for. He's there to perform too. This is his stage also. He's in the spotlight right now. And when I do that, I feel so bad. So I've gotten away from that. Hey, the hunt's going to happen. We're not going to get every flock. But now we're going to get to witness what Brad Arrington just said is pure magic. We just had Canada geese or mallard ducks. They drop their feet. They cup their wings. Get them, boys. Black cloud goes off. We got some dead birds. We're hooping and hollering. We're high-fiving. Axel, I don't want to stop him. I don't want to. I don't need to be back in the blind for the very next flock. We might get back in there for the, the flock after that. We're going to get more birds. Just have patience and understand that 
that part of the hunt is so special. I don't want to lock him back up when he's getting ready to go, you know, because then you're taking a chance that there might be a cripple out there that's going to be complete somewhere completely different from when he when you saw him fall. Because now you got eight or nine more dead birds that just got killed in the new flock that came in. You got to watch the legalities. You got to watch all the regulations. You don't want wanton waste. You don't want a bunch of birds laying out there on the ground. Use that dog as a conservation tool and let him and her go to work. I, I know you have a thought on that, Brad. I'll get your thought real quick on that statement before we take our last break right here at Federal Premiums. It's Federal Pod, It's Federal Season Podcast. Yes, um, you're exactly right. I just I think that the pregame, what I tell a lot of my guys, the pregame show is what helps you with that. And what I mean by that, talking to your guys, talking to your buddies that you're going out in that duck hunt or that hunt with and telling them how we're going to have a game plan. This is how we're going to handle it. This is what we're going to do. And, you know, if you have a guy in the crowd that all he's wanting to do is pull the trigger and just bam, 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 you know, talk to him, influence him, educate him on, you know, what what our goals are today and make sure the pregame is set and everybody knows what, what we're going to do. We're, this, this hunt's not just about kill, 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 kill. It's about the whole experience of the dog. And if, if you're going to do those hunts, you know, it, it might be better off that, that to keep the, to keep the training level very high. Some of those hunts, I wouldn't take a dog on. I'd just bring the dog back out for cleanup, but have the pregame show, talk about it and make sure everybody's on the same page. But in a perfect world, everybody <clears throat> lets the dog work when it's time to let the dog work. And we get all the cripples in, get all the birds in, make sure that we're we're doing the hunt right and properly. And 90% of the guys there, everybody's going to be for that, especially if the handler and the dog are a good team. Everybody wants to see that. I, I've never met a guy, even though if he doesn't have a dog, or maybe he doesn't, isn't a big dog lover. There's not a duck hunter out there that doesn't enjoy watching a good team handler and a dog work. So that, I mean, all the guys I hunt with, we actually, we, you know, we guide as well. All the guys, when they shoot, they put their gun down and watch us, the trainers at Mossy Pond and the, the customers <clears throat> that have dogs pick up the birds and work their dogs. So um, I always tell everybody, have that, little pregame talk where everybody's on the same page and knows what we're going to do and how we're going to hunt this morning. I love that. Brad Erickson brings up a great point. Pregame, gun safety, blind safety, communication, the blind leader, who's calling the shot, making sure that everybody knows their shooting lanes. And now we bring this most important aspect into that besides gun safety is the safety of our dog, knowing where he or she is going to be sat at, where the blind is going to be, and what's going to happen during the hunt. Let them know, hey, we're going to take some time in between goes and let these dogs showcase their talents great point brad errington we're going to take one more break here that it's federal season we'll be right back with a little bit more from brad errington at mossy pond retrievers hope you all stay with us i was kind of confused on the script guys um it says last segment two to three minutes was am i supposed to say bye to brad before that break okay so And then give him the final word. Okay, got it. Brad Erickson, you bring up a great point there. 
pregame. It's like a coach in the locker room. It's like the quarterback in a huddle, letting the team know what's getting ready to go down. It's gun safety. It's blind safety, communication. Who's the blind leader? Who's calling? Who's calling the shot? Who's letting the birds get lined up so everybody knows their shooting lanes? Everybody's staying in their shooting lanes from the left side to the center to the right side of the blind. And now we talk to the group about the dog, where he or she is going to be sat, how we're going to handle it, how in between goes we're going to let that dog showcase his or her talents. It's a great point, Brad. I absolutely love what you guys are doing at Mossy Pond Retrievers. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here today, but for Axel. You found Axel. You knew he was going to be a stud, and boy, has he turned in to an unbelievable, not just in the in the hunt test game, but in the blind, Brad, in the, in the duck blind, the goose field. I've never seen anything like it. So kudos to you and your team. Thank you for letting me have Axel to be part of our life in this journey we call the foul life. Any last words, my man? Thank you for being here at Federal Premiums. It's Federal Season Podcast. Thank you for letting me be on today. Thank Federal for all that they do for the um, waterfowl and um, any any um, upland game waterfowl. And th- thank you for letting me be on here today. It was a pleasure. I love talking dogs. Anybody that ever wants any advice, any knowledge, they, they're welcome to contact anybody at Mossy Pond. Thank you, Chad, for always letting me be a part of the foul life and um, be a part of Axel's journey. And um, I, I just thank you all a lot for letting me be on today. I enjoyed it. Man, thank you, Brad. That's Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers. It's federal season. I hope you all are getting ready for an unbelievable 2022-23 season. We'll be right back with more federal premiums. It's federal season podcast. It's a season with no beginning, or end. With bonds so strong, not weather, or age, or thousands of miles keep us from it. Our love for it is as varied as those who are addicted to its pursuit. A connection with the outdoors. with family and your best friend. We plan with anticipation. We prepare and wait in silence. With tired legs and cold hands, we push on. All in hopes of hearing a call that shatters the calm. To see the approach of thundering skies and experience the instantaneous rush. For whatever your reason, this is our season. Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to It's, it's Federal, Federal Season. Season. I'm your host, Chad and the News and Notes segment. Host of the Foul Life Television again. I'm so honored to be part of the Foul Life and what we have going on in our 14th season airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. We also have a couple of our own podcasts we'd love you to check out on all of your podcast platforms. This Life Ain't for Everybody covers everything from music to military to medical to just everyday discussions. And we just felt like everybody had a story. So check out. This Life Ain't For Everybody, and we also have the Foul Life Podcast. Ducks, geese, dogs, every day, all the time. 
Federal Premium, Black Cloud is a big partner of ours in the Foul Life podcast as well. Again, you can find it on your podcast platforms. Hopefully you guys subscribe to it. We got a lot of great guests coming up through the dog days of summer and getting into that September blue wing till season, early Canada goose season. And also, if you want to learn more about federal ammunition and even meet some of the folks from federal ammunition, I know that their headquarters are up in Anoka, Minnesota. But hey, they're going to be at the Buckmasters Expo August 19th through 21st, Montgomery, Alabama at the Montgomery Convention Center. There's going to be a great duck dog and a dock dog exposition there. You're going to get to see some labs and other varieties of dogs and breeds of dogs jumping as far as they can off of the dock. It's great for family, great for your kids. We'll see you at the Buckmasters Expo August 19th through 21st in Montgomery, Alabama. Also, Game Fair, another traditional historic event right in the home state of federal ammunition in Minnesota, Friday, August 12th through the 14th, and then it will return for its second weekend, August 19th through the 21st. Game Fair is really cool. You like duck calls? They're there. Goose calls? They're there. Duck dogs? They're there. Great food, great people, great environment. It's Game Fair 2022 at Armstrong Ranch in Ramsey, Minnesota. Hopefully y'all get to get out and check out Game Fair. Check out the merchandise page on federalpremium.com for the latest in gear and apparel and show off your federal pride with a t-shirt, baseball cap, sweatshirt, and more. I'm going to tell you guys, I just got back from the 100th anniversary celebration in Anoka, Minnesota. I was up there with all of my friends and family at Federal. Mr. Ted Nugent performed. It was unbelievable to hear the military speeches from Every, every single one of them. It was so humbling to hear them. It was awesome. But one thing I did see up there was the federal store. And they're not joking when they say that this merchandise is awesome. They've come out of their seats with a, a, just a whole portfolio of shirts and hoodies and hats and beanies that you're going to take pride in wearing. A lot of great designs, a lot of stuff that tells the story of federal premium ammunition over the years, the past hundred years. Congratulations to federal premium ammunition on their hundredth year anniversary Let's celebrate it together with a great duck season this year. I'll be hosting the next episode of It's Federal Season to be released on September 8th. I will be discussing waterfowl topics with a top outfitter, tips on being a better waterfowl shooter, and break down what makes Black Cloud the only choice for waterfowl hunters with one federal shot shell. Thank you for being here. It's Federal Season Podcast, again brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. I'm Chad Belding, host of the Foul Life TV and the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. See you all next time.